what's one thing that you wish people knew about psychedelics and how they can be medicine? Well, that they're medicine. They're not, they're okay. not drugs that we, they're not drugs that we've been conditioned to believe are bad for us. They are medicine that can help us heal. Hello and welcome to the Health Detective Podcast by Functional Diagnostic Nutrition. We bring you interviews from people who have conquered the trickiest of health challenges using the Functional Diagnostic Nutrition philosophy and similar healing modalities. You're going to hear from experts who have been through the ringer with their health issues and yet managed to come out on the other side. If you're interested in natural healing and or functional medicine, congrats, you are in the right place. You can always visit us at functionaldiagnosticnutrition.com, but for now, here is today's episode. Okay, what is going on, guys? And welcome back to another episode of the Health Detective Podcast by Functional Diagnostic Nutrition. My name is Evan Transu, a.k.a. Detective Ev, and I will be your host for today's show. Well, you asked and we listened. Someone on our comments had asked about psychedelics and how they relate to mental health and what our opinion on that was. And I know other people have been interested in this, but they didn't necessarily comment it. So by the way, we do listen to your comments. All you got to do is type in the Health Detective Podcast on Podbean. And Podbean is a platform that we're still pretty small on, so we'd love for you to interact with us there. Apple is by far our uh, big guy. So When you go on Podbean, though, you can actually leave comments on our feed. I interact with people there. We will answer questions. We do Q&As based on the things that people leave there. And we even have entire episodes inspired by those comments, as is the case today. So, again, someone that was asking about uh, plant medicine and how it relates to mental health, uh, psychedelics, those types of things. And, you know, this is something as someone who's in the mental health space outside of FDN, I still have trouble with, right? It's like, whoa, is this really helpful to mental health? I've never used these things before. Um, And I admittedly, unfortunately, probably have a small bias against this. And I admit that to our guest today, whose name is Corey. But um, I interviewed Corey before, about a year ago, for a different show that I was doing. And Corey is the guy to talk to about this because he comes in very level-headed. He comes in very objective. This is not the stereotype that I think most people in um, the world are picturing in their heads, which allows for this stigma to continue. And I know that the stereotype's not even remotely true, but the stereotype, I think, is something of like a hippie that just wants to, you know, take mushroom trips and do stuff like that. That's not the case at all. Corey knows how to use these things responsibly. He is very well educated on this, as you will find from the episode. Um, And he just brings a much needed light to this topic. And every time I talk to him, I'm like, wow, like this really does have validity in the mental health space. And it's when people come in with the type of viewpoint that he comes in with, that you can really learn to respect this stuff. And I think I have greatly missed out on um, an area of research. And a way that I can share things with people in my life to help them with their own mental health. So I sit very thankfully corrected and we had a great interview. So a little bit about Corey overall. He is a psychedelic advocate and human impact community builder. He has used plant medicine for the last 15 plus years to overcome depression, anxiety, and suicidal ideation, and has spent the better part of the last five years building communities in the mental health and wellness space, including the last year where he served as the executive director of the Canadian Psychedelic Association. Corey has committed his career to a vision of the future where mental health and disease are viewed as holistic, collective experiences, and the shame and stigmatization of our communities are replaced with compassion and connection. A future where we expand our collective abilities to accept, support, and provide opportunity for all of our people to reunite with our innate abilities to heal, overcome, and actualize our full potential. Well, you can probably already see why we had this guy on. He is absolutely just... um. He's someone who's done the work, right? And it shows and it shines and it's just fun to talk to people like this man. They have such a level of wisdom that they carry around with them that I don't even know if they're aware of because he's such a humble guy in addition to all this other stuff. I also want to add in, and I'll throw this in at the end as well, just in case people skip intros. He, him and I talked forever. 
And we were talking outside of the actual podcast. And I don't like to go over too much on these. We like to stick to our like 50-minute um, episodes. And then, of course, I have my little stuff that I throw in afterwards. But we already went like seven minutes over. And we are considering doing a second part here. So if this is something that you guys are interested in, one of the things I want to ask and request is submit your questions. We want to do like a Q&A type of format with this guy because he's one of the more educated people in the space on this topic, um, and we have access to him, right? He's actually an FDN himself, and he's more than willing to come on again and share some information with us. So if you have questions after listening to this, go to the Health Detective Podcast on Podbean, drop those questions in as the comments, and we will do a Q&A with Corey again, and we will ask your question live to him. So without further ado, let's get to the episode. All right. Hey there, Corey. Long time no chat, my friend. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me on here, Evan. It's good to see you again. Yeah. Glad to have you on the Health Detective Podcast. Um, Corey is someone that I knew through Functional Diagnostic Nutrition, both practitioners, um, and he's someone that I had on my radio show when I was doing that a uh, year or two back, and people loved his topic, and his topic was all about psychedelics and how they can have medicinal benefit. Now, more specifically, we had a few people comment that they wanted to know about the benefits of like, or kind of our opinion, more or less, on mental health and psychedelics, and that instantly made me think of you. I'm like, all right, this is the guy for this. Because when we had talked before, it's just a very objective viewpoint. I think, unfortunately, um, admittedly, even by myself and someone who's in the mental health space, I'm kind of almost ashamed of this, but I think society has gotten to me where I even have almost like a negative stigma or bias around psychedelics and mental health. So I'm constantly learning uh, more about it. I'm looking to challenge my beliefs about those types of things because I'm seeing them produce very positive effects. And of course, the stigma comes from this image. Um, and it comes from ignorance and the ignorance is the image of like someone like tripping, you know, on acid or whatever, right. And having like this crazy eight hour trip. And that's what we think about with mental health and psychedelics. And of course, that's not what we're really talking about here. Um, but I digress for a second because before we get into that, I always want to start this show in a very similar way. Um, I like getting to know about our guest and how they got into this because as you and I know all too well, no one gets into this by accident. Um, so tell us a little bit about your health journey, man. Like when did your symptoms start and what did they look like? Yeah, so there's a lot in that intro. I, I look forward to threading those little <laughs> those little pieces there. Um, yeah, my story starts. Uh, my symptoms were mental health mostly at the beginning, and then it became sort of more physiological. And I can kind of see if I can thread that through to a good place. So I'm not talking too much, but mm -hmm. my symptoms of depression and anxiety started when I was about ten or twelve years old. Um, it, it's unclear to me still about you know sort of the root cause of that, but um, there are some some things that I've been able to kind of move back through with the use of psychedelics to allow me to see some of that and and clear you know a lot of it away. Although you know uh, depression is still there, anxiety is still there as a symptom, but it's it's manageable now because of some of the work that I've done. Sure. Um, so the story starts yeah, but when I was ten or twelve, and I have a background in uh, in competitive sports when I was young, and and mm -hmm. that environment sort of leads to a bit of you know unintended pressure you know i don't blame anyone in, the, in that scenario uh it's just one of those things and my you know i just i couldn't regulate that i didn't know how to like regulate that pressure uh to perform so i i don't attribute all of it to that there's other things but that's sort of when it kind of really spiraled because that's when you're, you're kind of moving and you're moving to high school you're moving into those things so like a lot of things have formed around that and then over the years as i uh as I got older, it just kept continued to kind of get worse. And then once I entered into the workforce after school, um, it really sort of, it really took uh, an even bigger turn into suicidal ideation and, um, it kept escalating. And I was just on this pursuit of trying to perform again, like just living out those childhood experiences. And, uh, I was doing it for everything outside of me and doing nothing really internally that I was passionate about or enjoyed. Sure. Um, and then I found, um, well, first I found some books that really just sort of like helped me to understand my mind a little bit, you know, using my mind as a success mechanism as instead of a failure mechanism, looking at the pessimistic um, all the time instead of the optimistic point of view. And uh, and then I found functional medicine and uh, I call myself like sort of a human optimization junkie and uh, found all these different little tools like you, you know, with the red light and different things that we've talked about before. Um, and I'm sure you've talked about lots on this podcast. Um, and, yeah. and I just continued to just try these things. I, I went on, uh, after I, after I left my first job, um, in marketing, I started my own marketing agency 
And my pursuit there was like capitalistic, materialistic, like just build the biggest company, scale it, work with the biggest brands, make the most money. Um, and uh, that created a lot of burnout because I wasn't chasing anything that was like, was true to me. It was all outside of me. And so um, that just made things worse. I actually did scale it really well. I worked with companies like Amazon and Universal Studios and Disney and these big companies. Um, but I was way worse off by that point. And even though I had money coming in and I was, you know, trending towards, you know, family and all these things with the partner that I was with at the time, uh, I was miserable and, and very close to, to ending it. Um, suicidal ideation had really just spiraled. And then I found, uh, I found psychedelics after that. And then I went on about a 18 month journey, um, spending about a hundred thousand dollars on these sort of alternative treatments, kind of getting, getting sick of the allopathic way of treating things here in, in the Western culture. Um, just trying to look for different things. So I did some silent retreats, meditation retreats. Um, yeah, did every therapy you can think of, uh, horse therapy, cold shock therapy, like uh, all kinds of different things. Psychedelics was one of those pieces. And I'm excited to talk to you about that today. Cause that, that, that's really been one of the big turning points for me. Once I found psychedelics in a therapeutic way, everything sort of opened up a little bit and I became more able to regulate and understand my depression at a really root cause level. And, uh, and that spiraled into my work today. So I've last, uh, the last year I spent as the executive director of the Canadian psychedelic association year, mm -hmm. uh, that contract just ended. And now I'm, uh, I'm creating a microdosing community called dose day. And what we're doing there is connecting like-minded microdosers, uh, virtually to expand the practice of microdosing. Um, so I can talk about that if, if you're interested and, uh, and now wow. I'm just sharing my story. So, uh, I think a lot of what a lot of people are seeing now is just, and maybe this is where the conversation came from within your community is just so many people are talking about it because it's in the news everywhere, especially in Canada. So I'll leave it there and you can pick up wherever you would like from that story, but, uh, yeah, thank yeah, you. I don't want to go on too long. No, no, that's all good. It's your show. Um, there's so much to, uh, dissect there because on one end, I mean, I always like to address the suicidal ideations thing because my work in the mental health space with like kids outside of this, that is, uh, it's unwritten, but that's what it's really about, right? I, I don't know what every single person's story is in a school. If there's a hundred kids in an audience, I mean, there could be kids with abuse at home or maybe it's by a lot or biochemical things, right? Like we know is all too real and the treatment plan might look very different from one person to the next, but the bottom line is there is help out there. And if we give it enough time and we try enough things, I've seen people resolve or at least manage uh, the craziest of stories and circumstances. And so, yeah, my whole goal, um, even when talking about something like this today, is like if we can give someone some little bit of hope so that they don't do something that they can never come back from, um, that's one of my main goals in the mental health space always. Of course, I want people to just feel better. That's great. It's not like I want them to hang around and suffer the whole time. But when you make that choice, um, that's it's permanent. You know, uh, new treatment can come out in three mm -hmm. years. Right. And maybe that's all you had to do was hang on for another three years, which can be quite tough depending on what the person uh, is going through. But, you know, especially for like younger individuals, relatively younger like us, right? Like we're not 70 years old. Uh, there's a lot of life left. There's a lot of technology that's going to come out and new studies that are going to come out even in the natural world. So I, I always want people to hang in there and just and keep trying different things and know that there's stuff out there. Um, I want to go back just for a second because I always love shouting out p uh, books that people are reading. I think more people need to read. You had talked about, you read a few books and they kind of helped you. Do you remember? What were those books? Offhand? Yeah, the first one uh, literally fell into my lap. It's called Psycho-Cybernetics uh, by okay. Maxwell Malt, I think his last name is. I might be mixing that up. Yes, it is. And You have it right there? <laughs> Would that be by Maxwell oh, Maltz? That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. yeah. <laughs> so that book uh, I was given to by my stepfather. And uh, at the time, I was like, I'm not into this kind of mumbo jumbo crap. Self-help. Like, I don't need that. <laughs> Although I did, right? Um, and so I just put it on the shelf. And one day I was vacuuming and I was like kind of on the ground and I was underneath my shelf and I hit the shelf and that book literally fell on my lap. And I was kind of like, and I don't, at that time I wasn't really listening to my intuition much, but I was like, I'm going to sit down. I put the vacuum down. I went on the couch and I read like half the book in a few hours. And that one was wow. really like, that was the, when I talk about, that's the whole book there is about shifting your mindset or understanding that your mind works as a success success mechanism, not a failure mechanism. And then I was like, Oh my God, like kind of a light bulb shine. And then I'll just give you one other book when it's related to psychedelics. Please. Um, uh, how to change your mind by Michael Pollan is uh, is a really great one. It's uh, Michael Pollan's a, a, a very influential writer. He's, I think he was named one of the top 100 writers of our time by time magazine. Um, he writes a lot about plants in general, food and, 
and diet and things like that. Um, but he wrote a book a few years ago, um, you know, a couple of years after I'd started my journey with psychedelics, uh, I think anyway, timing's off, but he really kind of like, it, that's a pivotal moment in the psychedelic renaissance and the expansion of the, the accessibility of these things, because he's like, he's not a psychedelic person, but he wrote a book on psychedelics through his experience. And that sort of opened up, opened up the, the doorway a little wow. bit more and more. And there's many reasons uh, outside of that, but it's a really great book called how to change your mind. Um, he goes through, uh, I think, psychedelic mushrooms. I think he talks about ayahuasca and he think he talks about LSD and his stories about how that wow. works. And he brings the science in. He, it's a really, really great book. Wow. I feel uh, he, has he written other things that are super popular? I feel like I've heard this. Yeah. I can't remember, but he definitely, he definitely has. There's one about okay. vegetarian, a vegetarian diet. I think, uh, something about food and, and, uh, plants. I, I just can't remember the name of it. Got it. All right. No worries. Yeah. That's just interesting because like you said, he's an influential writer and I'm like, I'm always positive. I've heard yeah. that name before. Um, okay. So going back to kind of your personal story, I thought it's just sad, right? Because it's so ironic because you meet like the stereotype of that one quote that says, you know, um, that we lose our health basically to earn money in this capitalistic world. And then we spend all our money trying to regain our mm -hmm. health. And it's like, you spend a hundred thousand dollars in an 18 month span. Uh, that's no small mm -hmm. amount, right? Um, I got to ask too, what, is horse therapy just like riding horses? No, it's like, what is it's, that? It's <laughs> like, I mean, it didn't, I don't know if it did like work for me. It was an interesting experience. What, uh, it's, it's very popular among children with autism. Apparently there's some connection <laughs> with horses and children with autism. That's very therapeutic, but it's very, uh, it's very like an empathetic experience. And you, hmm. there's, there's a place here. There's probably places near you. They're pretty like hush hush, I guess, but uh, there's a place nearby that they, they offer this therapy. So you go and you just kind of hang around with horses and there's, I mean, it sounds strange and, and it wasn't something that I would probably do again just because it didn't really necessarily, I feel like it worked for me, but there is this really interesting connection with, with horses um, to humans. And I'm not exactly sure what that is, but maybe some of your listeners will know more about it, but it was, a, it was an interesting experience nonetheless. <laughs> Well, you are totally right, my friend, because I'm in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, and I can be doing horse therapy uh, about, what is that, uh, two miles there away. Um, so that's kind of interesting, right? But I never would have heard about yeah. that. You know what I mean? Um, and a lot of these seem to word it as like therapeutic equestrian Equine type therapy, of stuff. I think so people can it, also, yeah. yeah, people can also search for that. Very cool. I mean, why not, right? Um, I certainly don't think it's going to hurt anyone to get out in nature and be with animals and kind of do that stuff. That might be therapeutic in and of itself, just being outside, right? I like to, I like um, to think, uh, I like to say, like, ask, use science to ask the questions and use nature to find the answers. So going outside, like you said, and just exploring nature, you know, it's therapeutic in itself. I know you guys talk a lot about that. And I'm sure your listeners kind of really lean into that. But I'm a citizen scientist, I like to just explore and track things and just see like what works, whether it's a supplement, or whether it's hanging out with horses, does my mood change? And can I feel that chemical yeah. switch in my body? Can I feel that ability to calm my nervous system? And, you know, with the horses, you know, it was like, it was a relaxing experience. I just, it's, it just wasn't for me, I guess, long term, but it, it's, it's supposedly sure. pretty helpful. <laughs> Sure. And I love doing those uh, things too, just kind of figuring out what works for us as individuals. And you'd think it's like common sense, but I mean, for me, I never like really got out into nature that much as a kid or hiked or whatever. And I started that at 18 when I started my own intentional journey of healing. It's something that I've maintained to this day. I feel instantly different when I'm out there hiking. Um, and I don't mean to insult anyone with depression or anxiety because I'm someone who's been through it myself, but I really wish sometimes that I could go back to my worst parts of depression and anxiety and like just pick myself up and put myself out on that mountainside to see if that didn't significantly relieve the symptoms to some degree, even if it's only temporary. I'm just saying I cannot imagine when I'm out there feeling how I felt at one point if I was outside, it's like, it just seems a lot easier when, you know, it's 11 PM and you got the TV on and the blue lights blasting you, right. And you're stuck in your bed and you just ate your crap food. Um, <laughs> like, I don't know. It just, I feel like it would have been hard for me to experience those things out there, but I could be wrong. So in terms of your own personal story, right, you're spending all this money, all this time trying to figure this stuff out. Eventually you get into the psychedelics thing. Um, and now, yeah, I know that you're doing many things with it because that's how we met. We only really crossed paths for a little bit. And then you were saying like you got your dream job, right? Then you got to get into this work and kind of do it. Um, I feel like from an outsider's perspective, the microdosing is really probably going to have um, some of the most validity and I shouldn't say even validity, but widespread use long term. But I don't want to speak ignorantly here. So um, let's break it down man like where do these things apply to mental health like for you was it 
full out trips like people talk about that really did it? Or was it the microdosing, a mix of both? Like, uh, let's just start it out. And I guess, um, I'm sorry, because I don't want to throw too many questions at you, but an even better question, I guess, just to break it down simply before we get into that is what's the difference between someone who is quote unquote tripping on psychedelics versus microdosing? Because I'm sure plenty of people actually don't know about that. Yeah. So with, with the, I'll just speak generally about psychedelics. Each psychedelic kind of has its own unique pathology, has its own unique uh, way of working physiologically within the body and within sort of the the visual uh, experience, the perception, your, your perception of how things uh, are experienced are a little bit different. Um, and then there's the dosing level as well. And so typically most people will microdose with either LSD or magic mushrooms, psilocybin is the active in, uh, psychedelic ingredient in, in magic mushrooms. And uh, there are a lot of people that do also microdose cannabis. And there's a history more with uh, mushrooms and with cannabis of a long lineage of history of, of use uh, mic uh, of microdosing. It goes back thousands of years for cannabis and, and mushrooms. LSD is a newer synthetic, so it's not, um, you know, it's not as it doesn't have as much history, but uh, just try to touch on all of those things. So the typically like your kind of scale, which you would see if you Google this, you're going to see something uh, uh, around a microdose is, is, you know, like a tenth of, of, of a gram, sort of like your, your like 0.25 to like 0.5. Typically, that's what we consider a microdose. Personally, I like to kind of extend that a little bit farther. And if it's maybe not called a microdose by everybody in the community, I like to have like an exploratory dose, which is like, just above 0.5 to just under a gram, which is like, again, uh, I guess you go back to the microdose. The microdose is sub-perceptual. So your, your visuals will not change. Your perception will not change. It's more of like a state of mind, state of body type shift. And we can talk about that. Mm -hmm. And again, there's a lot of studies kind of coming out about this, but there's still a lot more to be done in terms of how it affects versus placebo and that kind of stuff. But I'll just speak anecdotally from my experience and what I've seen in the community. Sure. So, yeah, I like that exploratory dose, which is like when you go and touching earth, like you said, adding a little bit of a exploratory dose just kind of adds to that experience a little bit. And we can talk about how I use that as well. But then then you get into what they call like a museum dose. And I think that's between like one and two grams. And that's like if you were to go into a museum and you want to engage with the art a little bit more, it's, this is the example. That's why they call it a museum dose. It could be with anything. Okay. If you want to just heighten your senses a little bit, again, it's a little less perceptual. You might get a little bit of a visual experience, but it's more like sort of engaging with your senses and the outside world around you. And then you've got a therapeutic dose of just typically, typically like two, two and a half grams, three grams, um, maybe up to five grams, depending on who you're working with and how, uh, comfortable you are and then you've got a heroic dose which is like five six grams and above and all of those bring these different types of experiences and so um in terms of like how i see it moving through like you said before about microdosing kind of being the most accessible option for people i do agree with that i i see benefits in all of this but one thing to really point out in the beginning is that psychedelics are not a panacea they're not a cure-all and what you're seeing in the media nowadays uh, not everybody. There's some really great journalism, and I'll just shout out Truffle Truffle Report, and we can maybe link it up. There's a, there's a group in Canada. Sure. Uh, they Got they it. host uh, they they're a, a journal uh, journalist platform publication in Canada, and they they're covering psychedelics like nobody else across the world, and uh, they're doing a really great job. But some of the mainstream media that don't quite know it, like these people at Truffle Report, are really into the movement. Some of the mainstream media they kind of read a press release and they kind of like they want the headline, right? So. Um, a lot of that right now is is kind of glorifying it. And I have some worries about that because we don't want to have what happened in the 50s and 60s happen today. I don't think it's going to happen. But I just don't, when I'm speaking, I just don't want people to hear this is the thing that could fix you, right? Because the thing I worry about, and especially with, with microdosing, is we, you've brought in intentionality before, is we have to make sure that we're, we're creating uh, intentional use with these medicines. And I'll call them medicines from here on out. Yeah. Um, because we don't want these things to become another pill that we pop to relieve the pain. They don't have that effect. You can actually become immune to them pretty quickly, especially microdosing if you do it too often. So it's not going to have that effect. So you need to take breaks. You need to see where you're progressing, where you're growing. That's the beautiful thing about psychedelics is that they allow you to kind of grow with your use of them. And microdosing has that, that strong effect. Um, I, I'm missing some of the other things you said, but pick up wherever you'd like. 
Yeah, no, 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 that's perfect. And I did throw a lot at you because it's like, okay, sometimes I, I always try on this podcast as hard as I can to not get stuck in my own bubble because like I'm already assuming people know the difference between microdosing and not. No, you know what? The average person, I still think at this time, does not really fully understand what microdosing really means. Um, no, it does not mean you're having like a small trip where there's actual hallucinations, right? Like where this is a very small dose of something. Yeah, do you want to talk about that um, for yeah, like a second? Do you want to get into the microdosing thing? Because I, like you said, I think it's I think it's the most sure. accessible thing for a lot of folks. Um, and the interesting thing is like legalities in the U.S. I follow that quite a bit, but I was a big part of what is going on in Canada. And we just recently got uh, legal medical access to uh, psychedelics for, for use by therapists wow. and doctors. But the media has blown that up. It's still not, it's still not the answer we need. It's, it's not what everyone's kind of making it out to be. It's still really difficult to make it happen, but the underground mm-hmm. that exists today is, is moving quickly and they're exploring and they have been for many, many years. So people are getting access to this because they're going to, you know, the New York Times and they're seeing an article or they're going to here in Canada, the Global News, and they're seeing an article and they're going, how do I get my hands on these drugs? And in Canada, it's easy for them to get it. Like there's websites all over the place. You can get it not decriminalized, but it's kind of like we don't really look at that. And that's the same thing as how cannabis worked here is like these sites came online and then legality happened and then they had to kind of force their way into regulations. But it's, it's accessible. What I'm trying to say is people are doing it. And so what we need to do is make sure that you're, you know, what we're doing here is having conversation so we can create a safe container uh, of harm reduction. What we want to make sure we do is we share our stories and our perspectives. And that's why I've created Dose Days so that we can bring like-minded people together that want to enhance their microdosing practice. Even if they've been doing it for many years, it's really valuable as a uh, sort of in a group therapy model and a peer support model where you can learn from someone who's going through a similar experience and get a new perspective on on your experience of how you use it. But microdosing, like I said before, it's subperceptual. So you're not going to get the crazy what you would have seen in sort of the war on drugs propaganda of this burnout sort of vibe or this like trippy, like uh, on your on your back, sort of like not even not able to function sort of thing. It's mm-hmm. sub perceptual. So you're not going to have that experience. What I like to say what, and the way I like to sort of like coach up the experience is if you bring intention into it, which is simply just a small shift in your mind state or your physical state. And for me, uh, if I look at like, you know, New Year's resolutions or goals, right? We have these big audacious goals. Typically our human mind wants to go big, big, big. We want to do this big thing, especially when we're (laughs) depressed. We want everything to change. We want just this big, huge shift so that I can feel better. But Often what we really want is just a small, subtle shift in mind state or physical state. So the way I coach up intention setting with microdosing is just calling in a new state of being. So calling in, like if you, you know, going back to the New Year's resolutions, if you want X number of clients so that your business can scale to this thing, what you really want is just a sense of freedom. You want a little bit of sense of time back. So you can call that in with your microdosing practice and just see where that shows up. And so it's a little bit subtle, which is hard for people to grasp onto because like I said, they want this big, huge thing. But if you do it really intentionally and you and you bring those ideas to mind of how you would like to shift your state of being, uh, the psychedelic experience with microdosing can sort of have that effect. So there's a neurological effect of sort of connecting new neurons. Um, but when you bring that in and then when you add other people to support you on that, you have this really interesting effect of kind of growth in your state of being which is something we don't necessarily talk about much with mental health because we always kind of go, oh, it's a chemical imbalance. Not you, not you guys specifically, because I know what you guys coach up here <laughs> at, at the end. <laughs> yeah. That's typically how we've used or looked at mental health for a long time, but it's really a, it's a whole body experience. And I think that microdosing specifically, like you had said and alluded to, is that it's going to be the most accessible, but let's do it in a way where we share with one another how we're going through it. Let's go through those subtle shifts. What are we really looking for here? Let's help, you know, each other find new perspectives on what it is we're going through or what we're looking for. Um, and then not, not to go too far down this path, because I know we're talking about mental health, but there's a whole nother element of creativity and intellectual expansion that's, that's in there as well. And a lot of people are using it, using microdosing for that too. So there's a lot of benefits and there's a lot of ex- experiences that can be had and the research is coming, but anecdotally, like there's so many people, I wouldn't even hazard a guess at how many people are microdosing now, but since a lot of the research is coming out and a lot of the news is coming out of Canada, I've just been getting 
slammed with people going, how do I microdose? How do I microdose? How do I microdose? So that's why dose day exists, I guess, is to bring people together. And um, yeah, I, I hope that answered it. I just really, I, I think, I think with like what you said is accessibility about microdosing. It's important to talk about sort of like the whole framework and container that we can put around that experience. Right. No, it answered it and then some. And this is, I, I love getting people in their passion and just kind of going, man, there's nothing better and you get like the best information. So um, that's what I personally love. And it is hard to guess about the microdosing thing and how many people are doing it because especially here, it's it's not the same type of thing that you're talking about up there where like people could, yes, it's not decriminalized, but you could go online and get it. Like uh, if that's happening, I'm unaware of that. And I know that that would certainly be frowned upon um, in most areas. I believe the exception to that might be like Denver, Colorado. I think they did something with decriminalization criminalization of like psilocybin but even locally here i'm gonna gotta be pretty vague about what i'm talking about because i have local people who listen there is an owner of a we'll call it a natural type of place and this person you know basically uh was honest with me and said hey yeah i actually do like every like three or four months they do full out you know psilocybin um experiences right actual trips and the rest of the time uh, they're usually microdosing with something they're definitely people who experiment with this type of stuff and i thought that was super interesting right it's not something that i uh, someone that i would have looked at from the outside and thought that they were doing that but i keep hearing this come up because i'm I thankfully known to be someone who's pretty neutral with stuff, right? You could tell me about things and I'm not going to really judge you for it, especially if I can tell it's obviously working. And so I feel like people confide in me a lot with those types of things. And I'm shocked sometimes by how many people I know that are doing this, because I'm like, where are you even getting this? Like, who, you know, to me, that's just not a world that I'm in anymore. Um, and I just, I don't even know where they're getting it, let alone enough that they can, all right, I can schedule this out and microdose this accordingly as I want to. So yeah, I think whenever we have enough demand, and this is almost a political statement, but I mean, I'm happy to do it. When we have enough of a demand of something in society that doesn't really seem to be hurting anyone else, right? I mean, it's something that you're choosing to do by yourself. I don't believe that's something that we should have our hands in. In fact, I think we're actually putting a lot of people in danger by not having this just regulated and having it something that could be purchased in a store or used by a doctor uh, freely, right? Not like having to go through all these hoops or um, what do you call that? Having to jump through hoops to get to where they need to get to, like you said, in Canada, where yes, maybe they can get it through a therapist or a doctor, but it sounded like that's a pretty tricky yeah. situation to get there, right? I'm sure they have to use a million other things before that happens um, unsuccessfully, right? Uh, and that's not fair that people have to use maybe like it's what is it like medications or something before they even have an option to do yeah, that? Is so that I'll, like traditional? Yeah, that's how it works. Like you have to pretty much exhaust all your options to get to that point. Um, and just to, I, we could probably talk for days. Um, your, yeah, uh, I'm thinking, yeah, there might be a part two here. Well, my just, friend. There's one thing specifically that I really want to that I want to I, I really want to make clear is like even though I said you know it's accessible here, we can get it here, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, it's important that we that we create safety. We, we, we have to create safety. So the underground is a, I call it the underground, but it's really the existing practitioners that have been doing this for many, many years, since this has sort of become um, an experience since the 50s and 60s. There are people that were forced into the underground after research was kind of sent into purgatory and Richard Nixon kind of created the war on drugs that was then adopted across the world for whatever reason, um, most of the world anyway, uh, here in Canada for sure. Um, the underground exists. The underground is there. And there are safety mechanisms in place there from a lot of the really ethical value-based folks that are there doing that thing um, that we can learn from. And I am actually writing a book called The Last of the Underground. And it's this idea of like, oh, cool. we're coming above ground and, and these, po these people that are part of the, the underground experience are now coming above ground and they're becoming legal and they're becoming part of the medical mainstream, which is very, very cool and very unlike anything else in history of medicine, does that exist, right? Other than like the beginning when we, you know, denounced vaccines in the beginning and there was a whole thing on that, you know, but now we've adopted all those things and those people have come, the witches and the alchemists, right? Have become like men, mainstream, right? Um, so I'm, I'm writing that book, but the book is really about stories. It's just a bunch of storytelling of individuals from the underground who have been doing this and have had these great experiences, but they talk about not just the experience, which sometimes for some people, based on what they've heard, it can sound kind of crazy, but they'll tell it from the therapeutic space. It's a collected a collection of stories of people's experiences of safe and ethical and transformative life-changing experiences with psychedelics in a hope in sure. hopes to inspire what becomes the medical mainstream. You know, um, I believe that 
it's not going to be the governments that go, cool, we're good to go. It's not going to be the media that says like, now we're all available and it's a, it's a good thing to do. It's going to come from the stories of those folks that have gone through their own experience, like you and I, and everybody that I've ever met through FDN is like, here's my story. And this is why I'm doing this thing. And so many people are attracted to that. And so many people can learn from that. It's what this podcast is, right? Yeah. And most <laughs> people can't read a research paper. So they're not going to go, oh, cool study. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. Like, here's the end result. Here's how we got to the here's how we got to the to the end piece, and here's why it's successful. They want to know that someone's done something. Like you can't change your you can't change someone's mind without telling them how you changed yours, I guess is the the summary of all of that. <laughs> and we need to tell our stories about that. But it has to come from showing the safe and effective way of doing this, not being callous or risky or on the edge. And and typically right now we have to explore that edge because we have these regulations that 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 are that are in the way of us being able to heal with these with these options of medicine. Wow, I love that comparison. I think that's very relatable for the audience, and I actually know it just hit well with me because um, if, I think it's obvious to the audience, but I'm not someone I've never uh, used psychedelics to any degree at any point. Um, even during my times where it was like high school drug abuse, and I say that because many high schoolers who abuse totally. drugs, you know, if it gets bad enough, they end up finding that stuff. I just um. Everyone in my friend group did at some point, uh, both acid, both shrooms, whatever. I just never, I never felt called to that. I thought that was going to be too much for me at that time. It was kind of ironic, right? Looking back, like I thought that would be terrible for my mental health. And perhaps in that setting, it would have been exactly terrible, especially at that dosage that they were using, right? I think that was terrible for a lot sure. of people. Um, but it's a great comparison where that's literally what we're doing on this podcast. Certainly, thankfully, uh, nothing here is we don't have to deal with the legal aspect right now. Um, if anything, it's going the opposite, right? Because they're trying to crack down on like functional medicine practitioners to a degree and their censorship. And it's just insane to me. I'm like, this works, mm. right? And what we're doing right now, the studies are already out there. But like you said, most mm. people are never, they, they don't know how or they're not going to read a research paper, even if they do know how. Um, it's, it's tedious. There's so much that comes out. There's more to read than one could ever read in their lifetime. That's for sure. Um, even if it doesn't matter how smart you are, or how fast you read, that's just the truth. And so sometimes we just have to talk about things. And that's one of the beautiful things about the internet and social media. As many issues as these have caused psychologically uh, for a lot of people, even myself at times, one of the most beautiful things is that this has brought to light so many different topics and things that we never would have gotten to discuss mm -hmm. before. You know, even when I was a kid, man, like when I first read about like GMOs at like 16, the, you know, the grocery store barely had any organic options where I lived at least. There wasn't really anything in there. I was looked at like a hippie for even talking about this stuff. No one knew what a GMO was. And it is insane how fast in 10 years, because I'm 26 now, this progression has changed where like every store has organic options. Even if it's minimal, every store has organic options. Everyone's heard of a GMO, even if they can't explain it well. So information spreads rapidly. Um, so yeah, we have a duty if something's working for us and it's working well to share this um, and kind of bring light to it. I do think there's something to be said about, because you've said this yourself, if we don't have long-term studies on these things, we have to recognize that there's always going to be some inherent risk. But if someone's greatly suffering and this is their life vest right now, um, I mean, this stuff's been used, well, a lot of it at least, for many, 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 many years. I think it's probably safer to say than not that this might, at the very worst, be up there with the side effects of SSRIs or something else, and that's like worst-case scenario, right? Um, and let's be honest, the SSRIs, they're not going anywhere. They just keep pushing mm -hmm. those even harder. So uh, it's always kind of begs the question, right, why we can push those when they barely passed a placebo to even get on the market, and some of them didn't, you know, and they kind of just fake those mm -hmm. studies. Um, and then we have this stuff, and there's so much pushback, and we have to do things like this to even bring light to it. But that's a separate conversation, yeah. isn't it? Um, <laughs> so for for most people, I want to talk about now just because, again, I, listen, Corey, this probably will not be in a part two, so I don't want you to feel cool. like you have to say everything, because sometimes it just happens, man. We get into a conversation here, and I'd love to bring you back on. Um, with the conventional if there's a better word forgive me like tripping aspect where people are taking an intentionally higher dose that is not going to lead them to being able to do much other that than that day other than like actually experiencing um the psychedelic thing is that necessary for people with mental health um is that really that transformative for some and i guess um the third thing i'll throw in there is like when is 
it too much mm. because I saw people in, you know, high school or even like as a young adult, um, take high amounts of these things. And were they doing it for the right reasons? I don't think mm. so. Um, but it, it messed them up, man. It messed them up for a little bit. So, um, is it necessary for mental health treatment to, for some people to use those high of doses and what, who shouldn't use something like that? Wow. Um, yeah, there's so many things I want to poke in at there. Um, okay. So, Set and set. I just want to bring up set and setting is is like ultimately like that first phase of safety that we need to bring in. So there are there's like your recreational experience. You you might call it a trip. I call it a trip or a journey. I like to use the word journey because it's okay. very much a, a journey. journey. Um, but uh, in in high school, I had many many recreational trips with friends, and uh, there's a really great benefit to doing that as well because the way psychedelics work, and I, I'm just gonna go general here they all kind of work a little bit differently is they they take you out of your prefrontal cortex which is where your default mode network is which is where your, your identity is which is where your ego is so you kind of get out of that this is the way i'm supposed to act and be and and uh show up and this is what i know about myself and usually the narrator or that uh, at least in my experience it's kind of that negative sort of like don't say that or you know they're gonna laugh at you or whatever so in that in that recreational experience is if, if you're in a safe setting with people and you understand what you're about to experience together, there's a really interesting way of just kind of flowing with each other and connecting with each other in a different way, because you shut down that default mode network a little bit, you quiet the mind, and then you can kind of just be open and free. And a lot of the times just in general, people with mental health, and I would say just in general society, we don't have that option of shutting down the mind. That's why we're human. If we weren't human, we wouldn't have the ego. And then we would just be these bumps, just floating around these meat suits <laughs> in on earth here. But um, so that's mm -hmm. sort of like a mechanism of kind of how they work. Right. And like I said before, set and setting is, is very important. So then when you take it up a notch, um, so from that recreational experience, and then you go into what we, what we would maybe call a therapeutic experience, there's uh, there's therapeutic and then there's ceremonial. So I'll bring those kind of in. This is just how I look at it. It's not necessarily like a, Okay. governed sort of structure that anyone everyone follows but you've got the therapeutic <laughs> right. experience that i would sort of say is that next experience that is typically here more in and i say here i just mean like north america is an experience with either a sitter or a facilitator or a guide that's potentially in the underground so it's a little bit of a one of those experiences where you have to really vet the person that you're working with make sure there's safety guidelines make sure they're they know what they're doing and they have experience and and there's a you know a set and setting piece there but the way that experience kind of works is you might lay down in a chair like that. You'd put an eye fold on, you put some music on, um, you would be taking your dose of whatever that may be. And the guide is there for you. And, and a lot of the protocols that are out there now are usually like a male and a female that are there with you and they sit with you and their, their job there at that therapeutic level, because when you have the eye fold on and you're in this experience, what, what really kind of allows after you get past the default mode network, you kind of go into different parts of the brain that aren't normally accessible when the ego's in charge. So you can kind of go into the hippocampus and look at new or look at old experiences and old memories. That's where our memory memories are stored and created. And um, some for some people, that's difficult. So the guide is there to sort of help you regulate, help, help you to remember that you're in a physical body and you're there. And that experience is just you visualizing something from the past. And that's really the, the great part about psychedelic use is that you're able to go back through the conditioning or the programming or whatever's been sort of rooted in your past that has made you um, feel these uh, depressed or ang anxious symptoms. And I just I call depression and anxiety a symptom because the root cause is usually an experience from your childhood or from your past that has tricked your nervous system into thinking you have to stay up here and figure it all out when your body has a lot of the information for you. And we can get into that, but you guys probably talk about that all the time. Um, so that experience with the guides is really, uh, you, they're not getting in the way. Like typically talk therapy is very asking you questions and like kind of going back and forth and maybe guiding you a little bit with some words to try to get you to see something where this is, you're seeing everything you need to see. The guides are there to just keep you in that place because uh, the obstacle is the way. So if it becomes difficult, you want to go through it. You want to stay with it. You want to, a symptom is something halfway out. So if you go and you see that root cause, you can move that symptom to another place. You can move that feeling, uh, outside of the body if you understand it a little bit better. And so that's the, the guides or the sitters or the therapist's role in that type of experience. And then we've got the ceremonial experience, which 
Um, this is my favorite way to do it. Although I wouldn't, uh, we, if I don't talk about it, we can talk about regularity and how often we do this. I don't do it very often. Uh, maybe once a year, I'll go and do a, a ceremonial type experience, which is typically over the course of seven days or so. You're doing a few different ceremonies and you're working with someone who's yeah. either a shaman or a medicine carrier of a traditional lineage within those medicines. So uh, like your your typical uh, shamans in the ayahuasca Peru lineage, the Shipibo lineage, um, and then you've got um, you've got uh, various uh, Mexican lineages with with uh, psilocybin mushrooms or peyote or any of these other things, and you work with a shaman who has been handed down these traditions from from years and years and years, um, like thousands of years. It's, it goes back, and these are passed down experiences from medicine people from from those times that are there available to us now. Um, and it's a much more ritualistic, ceremonial, intentional, traditional experience where you might bring in different types of medicines like tobacco that kind of aid in the experience. The, uh, the experience is a little bit more individual where there's maybe a shaman and some helpers, but you're kind of on your own mat and you're in your own sort of space and experience. But there are helpers and shamans, similarly to how therapists would work here that kind of help you through that, um, some of those tough moments if they're, if they're there. So those are kind of like, yeah, maybe what I would say is those three experiences. Maybe I left out microdosing, but we talked about that. So there's like recreational, maybe microdosing, therapeutic, ceremonial. And then in terms of timing and regularity, uh, everybody's different. And so the underground is you got a mix of different people. Um, Some people are using uh, psychedelics very regularly to kind of work with whatever it is that they're going through or creatively or however it might be. And then you've got people that take their time with it. They do a little bit and then they integrate and they do a little bit and then they integrate. And integration, I don't think we talked about yet, is is sort of that main, really main key of how this works. So when you go through a, a psychedelic experience, that's just the, that's, that's just the start, really. You're going to open up a lot of different doors of perception of what you need to kind of look at and experience, whether it's uh, a conversation you may have to have with a, a friend or a family member or a lifestyle change you have to make or maybe moving leaving your job or doing something that is transformational to your existing life experience and it's difficult to do that right away after the experience because usually there's a lot you open your mind up a lot when you remove your identity and your ego we open our minds to a whole new level of understanding and insight and that's really the key so um what you're doing in a psychedelic experience is you're gathering insight from past experiences or from uh, this um, ethereal experience and you're bringing it back and making it ordinary because every one of us has an ordinary life. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean, we all live an ordinary life in some capacity, no matter what you have or what you're doing, how successful you are. We're all living an ordinary life in some way. It's all individual, but you want to go out and you want to take that insight and you want to make it ordinary. So you want to go and go, Oh, that experience with my mom or my dad, I, I need to bring that back and understand that and have a conversation with them and see if they can understand me a little better. And so then you make it ordinary and then your life becomes a little bit more uh, balanced and harmonious in a way, because that conversation you had to have with your mom, you didn't have the courage to do it. Maybe you didn't know why you had to have it, but right. then you sort of start to integrate these little, these little experiences. And like I said before, it's all just little shifts. So in that integration experience, you're just looking at what you've experienced and Oftentimes we journal through that so that we can take those little nuggets and sort of really try to see how we can make them ordinary. And that's, that's how the, the overall experience works. So some people that are doing it so often, they don't have, a t- they don't have time to, to make that insight ordinary. So they're using, you know, these psychedelics potentially too often. And this might be a little bit of my judgment, but what can happen there is a bit of a bypass. So you might bypass some of the things that you saw in one journey and you might go right into another one and kind of skip over something, which kind of just compounds similarly how we've been repressing our symptoms of depression. So mm-hmm. what I like to advise on people is just to really take it slow. Slow is smooth and smooth is fast. So if you can really just take your time with it, have an experience if you're interested in that, go into integration, learn about what that means, and take your time trying to make those insights ordinary. And that's the power of psychedelics because then you're not using them all the time. That's why big pharma is not really interested in this because they want you to use their drugs all the time. If we're not using these drugs all the time, but we're getting way more benefit, then there's a lot of value there for us as individuals, right? That's my, that's my take. I'll get off my soapbox. (laughs) 
No, that's great. And well, and another thing with the pharma companies is it's pretty hard to, you know, uh, control something that is, I mean, most of these things are just completely natural, right? Like magic mushrooms, I could grow those myself if I really had the mind to do that, uh, or the will to do that, I should say, right? So you can't control it. And I think this is the same thing that they had with the cannabis thing. Um, and I, I felt like, uh, there was something that you said earlier that I didn't get to that, you know, you said this isn't the panacea. This is not the magic pill. This is one tool in the tool belt that could be very useful for some people. Um, and I think we're seeing it less now. I'm just giving my perspective from being in America. But I saw that with the first wave of the medicinal marijuana stuff, right? Like we're acting like this is all of a sudden going to be it. And wow, now no one's going to have mental health issues again. And even for myself, like I think it's wonderful if you find a tool or tools that can help you. Um, it still begs the same question to me, especially as an FDN practitioner of why do you need regular marijuana to feel better mental health wise? Is there something more there? Now, I would certainly, um, in most cases, uh, think people would benefit more from a smaller dose of weed rather than, you know, like a strong SSRI or God forbid, a benzodiazepine. If we can replace that, fantastic, right? But we still are asking the same questions as functional practitioners of why is this here with this person to begin with? Um, because in theory, no one should need any of these things on a regular basis, right? Um, and it, what I like already about the psychedelic thing is, it implies that maybe you could use less over time, or certainly we're not using this all the time, right? Like this is not your crutch every single day. You can't even really do that. You know, we're using this to progress over time. Uh, and that wasn't the same push with the medical marijuana stuff, right? Like that's pretty straightforward that you're replacing, you know, the SSRIs or something similar with this. And you're going to use this every single day as much as um, needed, which again, if someone's suffering, this is not to sound rude. I, I want this person to feel good. I just hope that you get the full service that you deserve. And someone is still asking the right questions of, okay, why do you need marijuana every day to feel good? Is there something more that we can do? Is there something more that can mm -hmm. be looked at? Is this a biochemical mm -hmm. thing? Is this a childhood mm -hmm. trauma? Um, I think all of that needs to, to really kind of be addressed. But I, I really appreciate this conversation overall, I got to say, because this is the same thing that happened last time in terms of my perception on this, even as someone who admittedly probably does have a bias towards this in one way or another just from what I've seen. There's nothing about what you're saying that sounds crazy or hippie or not like totally objective. It's like, oh, wow, like maybe we really just missed something with this. Um, and the last thing I'll throw in really quick is that I find it's interesting the experience that you're describing with how the psychedelics could help the mental health stuff, right? It's almost forcing this introspection. It's allowing us to see things that we no normally wouldn't see. Um, and what I find interesting is that isn't that the same reason people have historically used these things from a spiritual perspective? Maybe they didn't have like a clinical mental health issue, but they've been using this to kind of get away from that, um, you know, more like modern brain, if you will, and get into the deep stuff, figure out what's going on and how can I can progress as a human being? So it's pretty hard to progress uh, spiritually, I found at least as someone who's spiritual, if we're still dealing with a bunch of dirty laundry that we haven't wanted to, you know, pick up and clean, <laughs> you know, to continue the analogy as much as I can. Um, it's pretty hard to progress in that way until we address that stuff. So for someone like yourself that has been doing this long term and, you know, you said like once a year might engage in something more ceremonial, as you call, called it. And I like that a lot. I think that's what historically it has been called um, by shamans and more native people. So I think that's appropriate. Are you finding now that it's more for the spiritual and even intellectual growth like you talked about because you've been able to kind of work with a lot of the stuff from the past? Like, is this just something that a gift that keeps on giving and elevating over time? Yeah, 100%. I want to go back quickly with the with the cannabis thing and, and the, where we're headed here with psychedelics. I wrote some notes so I can yeah. could follow you a little better because every time you bring it up, <laughs> no, bad. no, every time this is a great conversation. Every time you talk, there's like four things I want to talk about. Um, Knowledge mobilization. That didn't happen with cannabis here in Canada anyway, and I don't think it happened in the US at all, where there's a very interesting genetic component to, to cannabis that a lot of people don't talk about, where certain people's genes interact with certain strange dif strains differently. And that can cause a varying level of experience. So it's not just like going to the store and grabbing a joint and smoking it and having the same experience every single time, especially if your genetic makeup and your cannabinoid system sort of works differently than others, and, they, and it does because we're all unique individual beings, the, then it can cause some uh, uncomfortable experiences. And so going back to the word intention, I feel like there's a bit of an intention gap. And you talked about why. Why do we do this? Why do we pick up anything and do anything? And I, I mean anything. I don't mean just medicine. I mean, why do I get on this piece of technology what am I using it for? What is my intention today to drop into this digital world and create? And so today my intention is to speak openly and authentically to Evan. 
and share my experience and hopefully inspire a new way of thinking around how these 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 psychedelics are used. But we don't think about that often. So there's an intention gap. And I'm trying to bridge that gap with some of the things that I'm doing by, by sharing a little bit of a process for how to do that so that we can find those little shifts in our state of mind or state of being so that we can live a little bit more balanced, a little bit more harmonious. And that I think is what a lot of people want. They don't want this. We're chasing bliss because it's like a really nice experience, but we don't want to be just living in bliss all the time. It's impossible unless you're trying to become an enlightened monk, which most people are not. And then you also don't want those <laughs> insane, deep, dark depressions. So you want that balancing wave. You want to be able to handle yourself in like the little bit of challenge. And then you want to be able to experience more gratitude and more happiness. And so that's, I think if, if we do that right with this, that's possible. And where you were going with it in terms of like spiritual or intellectual growth, that's, that's how I use them now. But I wish I had someone telling me these stories and, and there, there were, I, I can't say I'm the only one starting out telling a story. There, there, there was a lot when I began and now it's growing and, and, and it's, and it's important, but we need knowledge mobilization now more than ever because we're going through the largest exchange of culture in our history. And it all starts with medicine. We're seeing it now with the pandemic. Um, we're seeing it, we're seeing it in the way we understand our immune systems. Um, you guys are leading the way on the functional side. It's, it's so powerful. And we're going through this cultural exchange. And in my opinion, with, with, with medicine and with psychedelics specifically as a medicine, there is culture, there is tradition, there is ritual, there is story behind these medicines. We don't have that with benzos or SSRIs, right? There's no history with those things. And story helps people grow. Story helps people evolve. And that's where you go back into the indigenous cultures and the First Nations cultures here in Canada specifically. They're built on story. That's where they get you into the medicine first. They tell a story of how they've been transformed. It might be about a horse and a guide doing something, but there's a lesson right. in it. There's an analogy in it. And that's how we have to look at these medicines. There's a, there, there are all kinds of analogies for how to use these things. And one analogy is, I guess it's not really an analogy, but you brought up the idea of laundry. And there is, there's this laundry, right? And uh, there's a great book called uh, After the Ecstasy, The Laundry. And I think it's Jack Kornfield. I could be wrong about that. Might be Joseph Campbell. But anyway, I, I can send you to you after if it's going to go into a link. But uh, it's all about Thank that. You. It's after you experience these ecstatic moments of, or these mystical moments of ecstasy, which is a lot of what people after these psychedelic experiences, they feel, they feel like they've, experience this moment of ecstasy and then they want that they want that again and that's temp that's a lot of how like these more addictive compounds like meth or heroin work and you just keep chasing that experience and with psychedelics you don't necessarily want to jump into that they're really not addictive and you can see that everywhere they're they're not like some of these other compounds but the the important thing is to go back and do that laundry and that's where the knowledge mobilization comes in and, and the education and there's a lot of there are a lot of great people doing that and I see that all over the place but it's really coming back down to telling stories of how you how you use them and then just to add to that last point about um, where I'm at with them now yeah they were very helpful for me and, and therapeutic for me um, and they still are like I, I, I'm not throwing stones from a glass house I'm I'm still you know still dealing with symptoms of depression and anxiety but I have this way to balance it so I'm on this little wave now of back and forth between ecstasy and and depression. And I, it's not big or small or big either way. I'm just riding this really calm wave, but that's because these, I, in my opinion, uh, in my experience, sorry, um, these experiences have taught me how to regulate myself, how to regulate my nervous system so that I can feel in my body, how the depression is showing up and what experiences it's showing up. And then I can reflect on it and go, Oh, that public speaking engagement made me do this. And I felt like that. And I was nervous and, then I breathe through it and I connect to my vagus nerve or I connect, you know, these, these other really cool tools that I've been taught outside of the medicine work um, to be able to calm my nervous system down. So instead of it becoming this big crashing wave, it's just a little bit of a, I just need to rebalance myself, you know, just take a breath and just calm right. down. And that's what it's taught me. It's taught me how to get out of my mind and into my body so that I can regulate my nervous system in any moment. And it's not perfect. Mm -hmm. But it's there. And now what I do is I like to go in and spiritually learn about the traditions of these medicines a little bit more. Experience them with someone who, who knows more about this from that ritualistic side of things. Um, because then I can tap into myself spiritually a lot deeper. And I just believe like these four pillars of health for me are bio, psycho, social, spiritual. 
there's there's that biopsychosocial yeah. that's been in in our culture for a while. We've heard of that before, which is your physiological makeup, and then you got your psychological makeup, and then you got your social social economic makeup. And I always add in the spiritual. And I think right now more than ever, people are experiencing a, a existential spiritual awakening. And they're not really sure how to deal with that because they've either been indoctrinated by the by the church or religion and they're like spirituality is like too close to that for them, but they're not sure what to do. And a lot of these these compounds can allow you to sort of experience spirituality in a new way, in a way that you've never experienced it before. And typically for me, at least what I'm seeing now with some of the people I'm working with, is that that's the last component that people need to sort of move through the obstacle and move through the symptom and getting a better understanding of, like I said before, how to regulate their nervous system, which is the mental health challenge, not being able to regulate your nervous system. Yeah. It's not a chemical imbalance only. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 this is great, man. And sometimes it's not a chemical imbalance yeah. at all, right? It can be, we know neuroinflammation is a huge yeah. thing now, but there's our, you know, third or fourth podcast <laughs> that we could do this now. <laughs> You know, we're, we're really stacking them yeah. on here. Um, we are going to wrap up. I want to ask just a few more quick things. I'm um, kind of shorter questions, of course, where people can find you. But um, one thing is that I'm feeling just pulled to ask is what's one thing that you wish people knew about psychedelics and how they can be medicine? Well, that they're medicine. They're not they're okay. not drugs that we they're not drugs that we've been conditioned to believe are bad for us. They are medicine that can help us heal. Perfect. That's all I needed to hear. Thank you. Um, number two is where can people find you? And I know that you've talked about what you're doing a few times, but maybe just if we can make it clear of like who this is for, what you offer. Um, I know that you're Canada based. I don't know if that matters. So just shout out everything and we'll make sure it's all in the show. Yeah, Instagram, Corey Firth, LinkedIn, Corey Firth. And then Dose Day is a new pilot program that we're running uh, for like-minded microdosers. You can go to doseday.co. There's no social there yet. We're trying to just go at this slow. Um, and then you can hit me up on LinkedIn or Instagram and I do some coaching as well, but it's, I do it like really intentionally in small groups so that, uh, I can spend most of my time there and then have the rest of it with my family. So anywhere on there, you can hit me up. Well, that's amazing. Yeah. Because I don't know anyone that's come on the show in a hundred, whatever it is. Uh, I, they get so mad when I shout out the episode and number and it's not correct. So it's over a hundred and uh, ten oh, at cool. this point. And we've never had someone come on and, and talk about this. So I know that that will be very uh, valid for a lot of people. And I'm sure someone out there that doesn't feel like they can talk about this is going to be like, wow, this guy is totally for me and I'd love to work with him. Cool. Um, so my final thing for you is, and I, I love asking these questions because even with the topic today, it, the answer might not be what people would think it would be. Uh, but it's our signature question on the Health Detective podcast. And it's as simple as this. If I, or if Corey, I'm sorry, could get every single person in this world to do one thing for their health, whether that's literally do one thing or not do one thing, what is the one thing that you'd get them to do? Hmm. Get off social media. <laughs> I can explain that further, but uh, I don't think I have to. There's a, there's a, I actually know the best way to describe it, and I'll try to be quick, is, is there's this there's this theory or this idea of digifrenia. It's trying to exist in multiple places at once. And we've got this physical being and how we live today and the reality of the world that I'm in that I'm not seeing you in. And then there's the digital version of who I am, my identity online, which varies between LinkedIn where I'm buttoned up and professional or Instagram where I'm sharing my food or maybe some silly, like the best of my experience, which isn't realistic. Or then there's Facebook where I'm yelling about politics or whatever it might be. So we're trying to exist in all these different places at once but we're having a hard time existing here in the physical, real material world. Hmm. And so if we can just take a step back, I don't think you have to delete it, but fast from it. You guys talk about fasts from food. Uh, there's a real benefit from fasting from technology. And I think there's an even bigger benefit from fasting from social media. I would say, give that a shot. That is why that final question is always one of my favorites because it's so easy if you're not familiar with this podcast to assume that these people are going to say like something in their respective field like, oh, well, I think everyone should try mushrooms or something like that, right? And he says, no, everyone should get off social media. <laughs> um, I think it just shows that we have people on that are rather objective and that they do th uh, see things holistically. They might have a passion with one specific tool, which in this case is psychedelics and plant medicine. But the truth of the matter is we still have to focus on other things to have a healthy person. Any good FDN out there is going to know that. So Corey, man, thank you so much for coming on. And by the way, guys, don't forget, 
Corey is more than willing to come on for a part two, a Q&A type of thing, but I need to know which questions you want me to ask him. So do me a favor, go to Podbean, go to the Health Detective Podcast, and leave in the comments section your questions, and we will ask them live to Corey next time he is on. Outside of that, if you like the information that we're sharing here and you believe other people have the right to hear this if they're suffering with their health issues and don't really feel as if they have answers, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts and or Spotify. And of course, you could share this on your social media too. And the only reason I say that is because we... We never know who's out there suffering. It is remarkable to me to this day on my social with how active I've been in sharing my mental health journey and physical health journey over the years. I'll share a story and sure enough, I'll get a message from the person I would least expect to get a message from finding out that they are dealing with something that they never thought that they'd deal with, right? There are many people out there right now dealing with mental and physical health issues completely in silence, and you could be their shining light. So even if it's not sharing the podcast, that's fine with me, but just share the idea of this stuff and that this can work for health issues that are not resolved through conventional medicine. But I'll get off my soapbox. It's just really important to me. I think we need to be talking about this if it's something that we believe in. And if you are considering becoming a practitioner yourself, then head on over to fdntraining.com. That is fdntraining.com. And there you can learn more about the Functional Diagnostic Nutrition Certification Program, or you can even book a call. It's right at the top of the website with one of our course enrollment advisors, and they will answer any questions that you might have about the course. But if you're just looking for the interviews, we will be back with that shortly. We got an amazing guest coming on next time. Really big name in the space. So I'm looking forward to bringing you guys that one. But until then, take care.